There's no, nothing in the tax code that says you have to make a billion dollars to do this. It's all there. And it's just a matter of, can you apply it to your specific situation in life? And if not, can you follow that roadmap to get there over time? Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. What if you could hang out with experienced tech industry executives, ask them about career growth, equity compensation, investing, financial strategies, and more? Then take an insight or two to guide your own career and lifestyle. Each week on the show, Christopher Nelson shares an in-depth look at how to navigate tech careers in hypergrowth companies, select the right companies to work for, earn equity, and build a passive income portfolio. Christopher is an author, tech exec, and principal and co-founder of WealthWord Capital. His goal is to give you the information you need to grow your career, build wealth, and make an impact. Now, here's Christopher. Welcome to episode number five of Tech Careers and Money Talk. I'm your host, Christopher Nelson. I've been in the technology industry for 20 plus years. And after climbing my way to the C-suite, working for three companies that have been through IPO and investing my way to financial independence, I'm here to share with you everything that I've learned and introduce you to people that can help you along the way. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Greg O'Brien and John Malone of Anomaly CPA, because they can help so many technology employees tremendously and people like them. They are certified tax planners. Certified tax planners are not your average CPA. They are a specific breed. They've gone through a certification program that focuses them on a way to actually look at the tax code. And the tax code is something that shows them the way so that you can pay less taxes. I'm telling you the way that they think opens up your mind to a lot of possibilities about how this can help you build a financial fortress for you and your family. So let's get into the episode. All right, welcome to this episode of Tech Careers and Money Talk. I'm your host, Christopher Nelson. I've been in the tech industry for 20 plus years. And after climbing my way to the C-suite, working for three companies that have gone through IPO, I'm now financially independent and sharing everything with you so you can do the same. I'm super excited today to introduce Greg O'Brien and John Malone of GoCPA. They are a premier certified tax planning organization based out of Boston. Yes, I didn't write this. Greg O'Brien, John Malone from Boston. Yeah, it's good. But the fascinating thing about their company is they focus on you know small businesses, high net worth individuals to be able to combine premier tax planning services, as well as technology to be able to streamline and make this effortless. And one of the things that I think is amazing about their group is they talk about they want to make tax planning and tax efficiency really part of your wealth strategy, which you don't hear a lot. So I'm excited to introduce today, Greg O'Brien, John Malone. Welcome. Thanks for having us, Christopher. Excited to be here. Yeah, Christopher, it's, it's super exciting to be here and uh, love kind of the movement you've started. So hopefully we can really contribute to your audience. Well, great. And, and this is where I'm excited to introduce what you do, because many people do not understand the difference between a tax preparer and a certified tax planner. And when I'm out with friends and I say, you need to understand what a certified tax planner is because it's going to change your life and your approach to taxes, they ask me, what's the difference? And I say, well, a tax preparer is very similar to the crime scene investigator that comes and draws the chalk outline around the body. Like the crime has been committed. You can't go back. Really, you owe what you owe. Where I think of a certified tax planner is like Tom Cruise and Minority Report, where you're looking into the future and you're saying, okay, what do we need to do to try and avoid something, to try and actually get the government to work with us and make more money? And so I really want to try and understand first and foremost, like what's the journey from, you know, I'm, I'm going to college in Boston to oh, yeah. now I'm a certified tax planner. Yeah, I, I love it. I'll, I'll start with that one because uh, the beginning part of this story is kind of the same for us. So John and myself, Greg, we went to college together at a, a smaller college called Bentley University outside of Boston. That's where we met. We played football together. We were co-captains as well our senior year. So that's kind of where our, our leadership journey started together. And then, you know, I was a, it's mostly a business school. So I was an accounting major there. For some reason, I stayed 
and got my master's in taxation, which is like a weird master's degree to have, but it was fascinating at the time. So went there five years to get my master's. And then I worked at a traditional firm. So think of your regional firm you might have in wherever you live, you know, 75 person firm. It was very, very heavy tax season. We're talking 70 hours, six days a week, just a mill of preparation, right? And it, it was very interesting to me at the time. I got to see a lot of people's tax returns, right? From, you know, uber, uber wealthy to normal people and just seeing how people made money, which was very, very interesting to me. So I kind of got my entrepreneurial mind churning a lot. And I was on the account of somebody that owns a pretty famous restaurant chain across the US. And, you know, this guy was filing and 50 states international. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like, it was very cool to be a part of that. But I started getting a, a dive into like what his team, he had a full-time family office, what his team was suggesting and the different maneuvers he was making, right? Especially around real estate. So that kind of got my mind churning at a younger age. Well, from there, I kind of got burnt out of that. And I went into, actually went into real estate. So I worked for both a privately held real estate developer here in Massachusetts and also a uh, publicly traded REIT. Uh, federal mm. Realty, which I which I, I love both those companies. Worked on the financial accounting tax side of both those companies for about four or five years. That really got my real estate journey started in my head because I just was like, wow, this is amazing what people can do with real estate. So did that, but it was also a corporate grind, right? So I was I was in the corporate world and I was uh, I saw my path right to kind of going the financial CFO route, and it was a very well defined ladder, and the ladder was long. There are many rungs ahead of me, so. In 2016-ish, I decided, hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just really started studying self-education, Tony Robbins podcast, you name it. I was listening to it, just figuring out how I was going to get the courage to quit. John was one of my mentors as well. You know, He's my best friend, but he's also a mentor. And I said, hey, I'm going to do this. And they were like, just go for it. So I am an accountant by trade. So I had to have everything mapped out, planned out, budgeted out, everything, <laughs> five-year forecast, everything was ready. And then in 2018, I woke up one day, I said, I quit, I just quit. And I, I started the journey. So starting off, I didn't know anything else but the tax preparation game, right? Because that's where I came from. So mm -hmm. I said, hey, I need to just be a tax preparer. I need to acquire thousands and thousands and thousands of clients <laughs> to make money. Right. I was very fortunate within probably three or four months of starting, I was in a, a, a networking group and someone said, hey, you should check out the the American Institute of Certified Tax Planners, they offer a different designation. It's really mm. cool. You can charge a lot of money for these things. And I, but I, I figured out how much it costs to get licensed. And I'm like, uh, is it worth it? So again, <laughs> not I in the budget. It, yeah, yep. It was not in the budget. So <laughs> I, I flew out to San Diego in 2018 uh, or early 2019, January, for like a week long intensive and then had a, a big course after and some testing. But my eyes were opened, right? I was like, wow, these are all the strategies that the 1% uber wealthy are using. And now that we can bring them down to a normal client base, right? And we can also show them, hey, you can really save money and increase your ROI and whatever you're doing if you're active throughout the year in your tax planning journey. Right. So I, we're talking three months into the business, I completely pivoted the model and said, we need to do this differently, right? We don't need a lot of clients. We need fewer clients that were very, very in-depth with that yeah. want to be educated and want to learn. So that was, you know, early 2019. Now, we're, you know, here we are four years later, things have grown a lot. And I'll let kind of John jump in here as well. But, you know, we've grown to a team of about 25 now headquartered in Boston. We are fully virtual. Just John and I, uh, John and I are in Boston. The rest of the team is across the U.S. But uh, John's background a little different than mine. And we kind of converged back in 2021. And I'll kind of let him pick up uh, from there. Well, yeah, and I'll I'll help tie it in and, and lead into to John is because you got the CPA, you got the accounting side. John's a lawyer. I, I am, yeah. So I, I guess I'll pick up. We we obviously met each other at Bentley. That's kind of where our journey started. And then I went to law school, and, and my kind of idea was like, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to become this, you know, big wig lawyer, kind of climb the ladder and 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 do that thing. I think that's kind of where my mindset was post college and. I got into litigation and, you know, worked at small firms. And then, you know, one of my good friends started his own firm, who I'm very close with. And then I jumped on with him and it kind of built that firm up and helped him build that firm up. And, and that kind of really spurred like the entrepreneurial side uh, of what I wanted to do. And 
And I think just as I got into that, I just, I just realized my passions really weren't for what you would say is like your prototypical lawyer, right? That's, that's right. looking to just kind of litigate, be in the courtroom. While I, I don't, mm. I admire that profession significantly. And, and there's parts of it that I, that I do really love. I just realized that my, my passion was just for business and was for, mm. was for helping businesses grow. And I, I didn't really know how to do that, but I just knew that I was kind of addicted to business <laughs> and how it could evolve. So I, I jumped out on my own and I started doing kind of corporate work, helping businesses off the ground, helping startups, and, and then started doing a lot of business with Greg and with GoCPA or, or Greg O'Brien CPA PC at the time, which is how right. it, which is how it actually started. And he, Greg opened my eyes to tax strategy and how he's applying it to businesses, the type of clients that he's working with. And it was amazing to me because I was like, this is, this is something that is directly, it is the biggest, really the biggest expense and the biggest investment that people are making is the, the amount of taxes that they're paying that could be used for investment, right? Or could be used to be reinvested in their business or reinvested in themselves. So I just saw this as like tremendous value add and something, an angle that I had not thought of or really contemplated as it relates to taxes. So in, in, in the tax code, and it's a book of laws, right? So it, it's very much uh, akin to what, you know, the analysis and how my brain works. So we joined forces and, you know, started really honing in on this model of, you know, how can we drive and optimize our business clients, right? From a tax perspective, I think our focus has always been on generating a return on their investment in us, right? We want to be viewed as any other investment decision and really having them understand the opportunities that are before them that are not really like out there. They're not, people don't know. I mean, there's so much, there's so much information. The tax code is changing like week by week, right? So being at the cutting edge of that, and delivering services that can really get them on the right track, but then like be their execution partner throughout has really right. been like what drives us. And so do you find that, you know, Greg having the accounting background, you, John, having the legal background that you create this double threat up or this double opportunity where you see lenses from both sides and you understand then how to make these strategies work? I totally do. I mean, I think it's it's something that we talk about a lot, right? Where there's, you know, I think you kind of take for granted that like the the tax accounting CPA industry. Mm. I think there's so much overlap, but there are there are nuances on both ends. That's like, oh, this is the lawyer's job, this is the CPA's job, and there's this like Chinese wall. So <laughs> while there's like regulations that we we have to tiptoe and be careful about and make sure that we're kind of we're walking the line appropriately there, I think that there is. There's just so much from an analysis perspective that we can kind of bring together, which makes a very like holistic approach to what we do, which I mm. think is very valuable. Well, I, yeah, and I think it's important. I think that as, especially as, you know, this for technology employees, as your net worth climbs and there's more at risk and you want to execute more advanced tax strategies because you don't want to pay as much, having that level of comfort that I'm getting a lens through a you know, CPA perspective, okay, this is financially how it can be advantageous for me. And then legally, yes, it, it meets the laws. I think that having that service can create a great level of comfort. Well, Christopher, I'll just jump in there. You know, one thing I always tell people is, you know, we, we've seen so many successful entrepreneurs, people that have sold, you know, nine figure companies in our client base. And oftentimes we're learning from them, right? We're, we're saying, right. Oh boy, like this is very interesting. This person had this company. This is how they skilled it. This is what they did. This is how they then took their net worth after that and protected it. Right. So we're constant learners as well. Mm. Uh, we don't have all the answers. We always look for uh, our clients as well to say, hey, this is very interesting. They've been there, done that. They've sold 10 companies or they cashed right. out of these four or five investments. What did they do next? Right. And that mm. just kind of accumulates in our brain, our little knowledge base in our brain of, of what's out there. And we're always learning new stuff. And John mentioned the tax code is a book of laws. The tax code is approximately 77,000 pages long if you were to print it out. Nobody knows everything. If you meet someone that says they know everything about it, they're, they're not telling the truth. Right. We don't know everything about it. We just focus on the areas we know drives value for particular people. 
That's great. I do want to take a moment and double click into, again, this, your awakening of saying, you know, it sounds like you are following the path of most people. I'm going to prepare taxes. Then you said, wait a second, there's this tax planning institute. Walk us through a little bit of, you know, what, what was sort of that inciting incident that said, I need to go down this path. This is different. This can provide better value to clients and also change your business. I think I was just fascinated by the amount of strategies that were out there that I had never heard of, right? And I, you know, again, I spent three years in the actual kind of grind of public accounting, thousands of tax returns. Maybe like the partners knew about these things back then, but we didn't learn them as staff. And then all of the people I had kind of networked with when I was starting a firm in 2018, no one mentioned anything about any type of business model other than just preparing tax returns, right? So mm. it was very fascinating to me that as what was out there that is possible to implement. But what I also learned was the reason a lot of people weren't doing it is because it's a lot of work. There's a lot of work to learn it. There's a lot of work to properly educate the client and, and help them implement it. Right. So I we, we figured out very early on, okay, well, this is not something you can really have 10,000 clients, right? It doesn't work like that. You need to have the right type of client that has the right sophistication mm-hmm. and, and the, the right issues, right, that you can help them through. And as long as they are buying into that, hey, I do want to reduce my generational taxes, we can do it. And it, it just really just changed my mindset right around to say, like you mentioned at the beginning, Christopher, on the, the analogy there, I always tell people that, it, that it's a new client. If, it's, if they come in right now and it's April, I say, hey, we're, we're going to start planning for 2023, right? The past is the past. What happened in 2022 is kind of spilled right. milk, honestly. You, get, you, you can't wait. The, the biggest misconception out there is I'm going to do tax planning in December, right? It's too late. You got to do it throughout the year and it's systematized, right? So you got to get stuff in motion throughout the year. So it just completely pivoted the business, you know, in the iterations we've been through over the past four and a half years. But I have always now encouraged younger CPAs getting into, getting into the business, right? Of just, hey, not that you have to do this, but I would take a look at this because I think this is where this is kind of where the world is moving. More people are interested in this type of stuff. More people are coming into wealth. They have issues, right, dealing with, and the tax code's ever-changing. But we always say with change, there is opportunity. That's great. What I was going to ask is, do you know how many tax preparers versus tax planners there are out there in the United States today? There's approximately licensed about a half a million CPAs. Now, the thing with the CPA designation, right, is it's like kind of saying I'm a doctor in that, there are CPAs that can't prepare their own tax return on TurboTax because a CPA could mean you're a, a governmental auditor. It could mean right. you're uh, an assurance person at PwC. It's a very wide ranging uh, designation. You do have to pass a tax part of the CPA exam, but like, you know, you forget that stuff pretty quickly. <laughs> so right. the actual certified tax planner designation that John and I hold, there's about 850. So wow. it's, it, again, it, it's pretty niche. And, and again, the the institute that licenses is called the American Institute of, institute of Certified Tax Planners. They're a nonprofit, right? They have no skin in the game other than just to kind of spread their education. The founder, right. her name is Dominique Molina, very, very smart person. And then she has some very, very smart uh, tax people on her team that have worked at the IRS that are, you know, lawyers, CPAs, right? All these different backgrounds. Right. And they're just on the cutting edge of everything that kind of comes out that we're able to take advantage of. Excellent. Well, so thanks for the origin story. I think we've covered the origin story. We understand, you know, certified tax planner versus tax preparer. We're going to take a quick pause. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about what are some strategies for high net worth individuals and that they can think about to reduce their tax burden today. We're also going to have an exciting update and announcement around GoCPA. So hang in there. Okay, welcome back. Here we are. Greg O'Brien, John Malone from Boston. Yes, I didn't write that. Let's talk right now. Let's get back into it. Technology employees, the ones who I know, many of them 
have a lot of holdings in stocks, single stocks. They also have maybe some venture investment, but that's their exposure. And the complaint that I heard and is complaining all the time is this is the time of year, right? In, in April where everyone is just crying going, why are my tax bills so high? Why we have you on the phone? And again, I'm glad that we have, you know, Greg, the strategist, we've got John, the lawyer. We're not, this is not advice. We're just talking about some strategies here. Why don't you share with people today, like when you're thinking about this type of scenario, what are strategies that are available today for people to lower their tax burden? Yeah. L- let me just start off with the first thing, Christopher. I mean, we, we see, and we've seen a lot of people that, especially in the tech world, they have RSUs or they have different kind of bonus compensation plans. They get, there's often a surprise, right? Come April, because they have a large balance due, right? So the tax that you owe in say April, right? That is just a true up of what happened. Now, right. people will sometimes say, I don't understand because Google, whoever mm-hmm. I work for, they're withholding taxes. The issue is, and this is kind of a epidemic among tech employees, is that when they receive RSUs or they receive these supplemental wages, commissions, bonuses, the companies take a position, which they legally can do under the tax code to withhold at what's called a supplemental rate. So mm-hmm. if you're under a million dollars, they're going to withhold at 22%. If you're over a million dollars, it's going to be 37%. Let's say, for example, your actual tax rate is 32%, but right. they withhold at 22%. On $100,000, that is a large delta right there, right? Yes. You, you psychologically probably don't see that. When the bonus comes in December, you're all excited. I got all this money in my bank account. You may not reconcile that they actually underwithheld by 10 to 12%. Right. And you don't figure that out until April. Hmm. So that's the first thing. We always do recommend people check with their HR to make sure that, hey, my CPA said my effective rate is 32.5%. I want to increase my withholdings here so I don't get slammed come April, right? That's not saving you money. That's just helping you avoid the surprise. Now, right. as far as the saving strategy, though, right? So let's just have to go through a couple basic concepts first. W-2 income is what's considered active income, right? It's, it's right. ordinary income and subject to both income tax, but also FICA and Medicare tax, right? So on your W-2, you're going to have Medicare tax, Social Security tax up to the wage base taken out of every paycheck, plus whatever you choose to withhold for income tax. That is the most difficult income to offset in the tax, right? For a reason. The W-2 employees pay the most taxes in the country for the most part. It's not easy to offset those. You need what's called a non-passive loss to offset those. Right. So the typical person that's just investing, say, in a a syndication, that loss may not offset that W-2. Right. We're going to show you how to do that in a minute. But that's just kind of the baseline, right? There's active income, and then there's also this concept called passive income. There's also, confusing here, what's called portfolio income. Portfolio income is what you talk about with stocks, dividends, capital gains, interest on banks. Don't confuse portfolio income with passive income. Passive income might be a syndication, right? Limited partner interest in a business, right? So there's all these different technical terms here that can be overwhelming to people. So with tech employees especially, right, we see People oftentimes say, hey, and this, this is the same that goes for other professions like uh, doctors, for example. They have very, very high W-2 income and they feel stuck. Well, yes. the first thing, right? I think if you are doing, Chris, you mentioned invest, venture investing, right? So if, you're, right. if you have the cash flow and you're investing in, hey, I, I get these startup deals that I'm investing in, I'm taking the swing at this AI company or this, this cool right. tech company. You should be very educated on the long-term benefits of that. There's something out there called Section 1202, we'll call it 1202 stock or QSPS stock. Some people mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley may have heard of this, but if you're, if you're investing even 50K, say, into a startup, you should always ask that startup, are you qualified for 1202 stock? What that means is that if that company hits, you could potentially have a $10 million capital gain exclusion on your gain. So for example, if you're 50K, turned into 9.2 million, you literally pay zero taxes on that. It's one of the best tax breaks that exists. They've tried to reverse it several times, but the powers that be and lobbyists have have kept it around. So some people think that, oh, I have to start the startup to get that benefit. Not true. If you, there are rules to follow, but if you properly invest into a C-Corp startup that's under $50 million, your gain Mm -hmm. could be 100% tax-free. 
There's also ways to multiply that benefit, right? We've had people that have gotten 40, $50 million tax-free. So that's number one, right? That's not going to save you in the short term, but you could have right. a huge windfall in the long term. Number yeah, two. I'll just, I'll just jump into Greg and, and Christopher. I mean, that is probably the most powerful tax code section as it relates to, mm. you know, the, the tech startup world, right? I mean, right. 12 of your QSBS stock is, is kind of the, the gold standard for, right. for a tax strategy, right? There's nothing else that you're going to get a $10 million exclusion per share. Uh, I know. I know that that number is just, and, and I've heard about that before. And the one thing I also want to tease out, and I also, also want to go back to what Greg, you were talking about, you know, RSUs, tech employees, you know, all of this, what, what is clear to me is that the advantage is when you understand what you're trying to do up front, you get educated on all the pieces and you understand how it works together. Because I know plenty of people that have, you know, in this secondary use case that have invested in venture that I don't believe have asked that question. I don't think that they're thinking about the, wait, is this LLC? Is this a C Corp? Can you offer this? I'm going to do 250, 500K. Like this would be worth my investment for you to make that change, right? Totally. Because I think you need to, when you're making an investment, right, you need to look at the after tax returns. Obviously, mm. venture investing is inherently more risky, but the returns are greater. And then if you can also say, hey, I'm not going to pay that 23.8% capital gains on top of it, that's pretty nice, right? So yeah. it can also be a negotiation tactic we've seen for people that are kind of being you know, early founders of, uh, or co-founders of startups. So, um, but John, I'll let you continue there. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'll say that. I mean, Christopher, it's a great point. I, I think, I think the, our, our savviest clients and whether they're investors, founders, whatever, like, they are in in this world. They are ensuring that their investment or that their company that they're starting is twelve hundred two eligible, right? Like that is like first box to check has to be done. Right, and it goes to your point of you know just just knowing the outcome and planning for that right before because once you do something to jeopardize twelve hundred two, you can taint the pool for everybody, right? So like that's right. something that there needs to be clear guidelines. And there's probably going to be some unhappy people if you do that, right? So sure, yeah. If you so that, that's, that. a, that's a kind of a planning technique where it's you know we're, we're talking about you know a, a couple of you know at, at the high level they look like pretty simple things, but there's right. layers to them, and it's more of you know just ensuring that you're you're abiding by those rules throughout the uh, life of the company through exit. Absolutely. So, so the, the second kind of topic to hit on here around, you know, the, the W2 world with tax strategy, we're going to go into real estate, right? So real estate, again, it's, it is one of the more confusing parts of the tax code because the government put a lot of barriers in place back in the, the 1980s. A lot of high net worth people were taking advantage of the tax code back then. So they changed the laws to make it more difficult. So generally speaking, a real estate investment is considered passive. Like we went through Passive Earth Act before. Most people, it's passive. The burden of proof, unlike the court of law, is actually on the taxpayer to prove that you're not passive, right? So mm. the first way to do that is becoming what's called a real estate professional. That does not mean just getting my brokerage license, right? It means that I am actually in the, the trader business of real estate full time. Now, here's the, here's the loophole for tech employees. A lot of people, right, may have a spouse that does not work a full-time job. If that's the case, you can absolutely structure your lifestyle and your real estate investment portfolio for your spouse to qualify as a real estate professional. From a mm -hmm. tax perspective, you're a one joint individual, right? You, you file right. together, you're one unit. So if I'm just a single person trying to get into this and I have a W-2 job, you can't, you can't become a real estate professional, right? Tax court overturns that all the time. But if you're married and your spouse does not have full-time employment, yes, you can figure that mm -hmm. out. There's ways to do it. We've done it with people. That, that spouse becomes a real estate professional. Now, okay, they'll say, why, why do you need to be a real estate professional? Well, within the tax code, this is where the huge advantages come out. Everything you do in, in real estate, right, you're gonna have, you're gonna hear the word depreciation. You're gonna have ability to write off your investments, the cost-based right. investments through the tax code, right? The US is one of the only countries in the world that allows investors to depreciate or write off used real estate, right? For example, I could go buy a building here in Boston that was built in 1726, and I get to depreciate it, even though someone else has depreciated it 100 times already. So it's a very <laughs> unique tax code, right? So right. 
within a real estate professional setting, if your losses that we and we create losses through what's called cost segregation and, and accelerating these uh, these write offs, if right. your losses exceed your income, you go negative per se. Mm. You can take that loss from your real estate and you can directly offset it against your W two income if right. you're a real estate professional. Now, my asterisk here is that again, it is very difficult to do this if if you are single and have right. a W-2 job. But if you're married and have that situation, it absolutely is possible. So that's situation one, right? And there's there's all sorts of rules I'm not going to bore you with, but <laughs> it's possible, right? Now, we, I've actually seen more in the medical profession, actually, people that have decided that one of the spouses was better off staying at home with children, raising the family and getting into real estate than having mm. a part-time job because the overall tax benefits, their overall ROI and all the right. money flowing in was stronger doing that, right? So people do do that. The second one here, right? And this is the kind of cutting edge newer one that I will bet you four to five CPAs will immediately say you can't do that because that's the mentality that people have. It is short-term rentals. So a short-term rental by definition in the tax code is a what's called a transient rental. Now, I think we have to understand the tax code doesn't get updated every year, right? Releasing greatest version was largely written in 1986, long time ago. They've updated wow. it through different tax changes, right? TCJA and back in 2017, the Trump tax laws, that was a big update, but it's not a complete rewrite. Mm. So they, they use the term transient rental. Airbnb was not around in 1986, but the concept of someone coming and staying in your house or a property you own for a few days and a, as a bed and breakfast, it existed, right? Right. So there's very nuanced rules of short-term rentals. What some very smart people figured out about a year and a half ago, and I was not the person to figure this out, is that if you navigate through section 469 of the tax code appropriately, there is a sweet spot where you can have a short-term rental like an Airbnb or, or VRBO where you do just enough activity that mm. you can create a non-passive rental activity, right? So you become non-passive. And what does that do? As we just explained, if you're non-passive, you can create losses. Non-passive right. losses can offset W-2 income up to $540,000. So I'll just kind of give the mathematical example here. I buy an Airbnb property for $1 million. I, I have some creative financing. I put 10% down, right? So I'm out of pocket $100,000. I talk to my smart tax players and they say, hey, you need to make sure this is rented for an average of seven days or less. I need to make sure that I spend 100 hours on this property and more than anyone else. I also want to make sure I don't operate this like a bed and breakfast. I'm not providing daily linen, daily food services, right? right. I'm checking some boxes here, but those aren't extremely high barriers to do. That million dollar Airbnb I buy in October, right? So I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of pocket 100K for my down payment. I then figure out, okay, I'm going to do what's called a cost segregation study, which is going to look at all of the components of this home from the, the HVAC, the windows, the lights, the doors, the cabinets, the floors, everything. And I'm going to right. assign new, new, new tax lives to these uh, pieces. Okay. Generally speaking, right? Stay with me here. Generally speaking, about 25 to 35% of the value of the, of the, of the building, right? So the building value, about 25 to 35% of that is eligible to be written off in a period of three, five, seven, or 15 years. Wow. Now in 2023, 80% of that amount can be written off right away. So example, wow. $300,000 falls into that class, 30% of the million. Mm -hmm. You can take an immediate deduction in 2023 of 80% of that 300,000. That loss, let's make the math simple, right? That $250,000 loss that you just created in year one Right. If you follow the rules of short-term rentals properly, that loss will offset your W-2 income up to $250,000, whatever that overall loss is. If you have two Airbnbs, you can go more. You st wow. So you can offset W-2 income single to about $270,000, married to about $550,000, right? Pretty powerful. Now, we've seen people with high W-2 income. We've executed, executed this strategy many times, 2021, 2022 that they have offset almost 100% of their W-2 income, right? Wow. A couple West Coast tech people. And now, here, but here's the trick. You do this, you save 100,000, 150,000 in taxes, keep the snowball going. You get, you just recouped your down payment money, right? Right. You just got 100% ROI. 
you take that cash and you go buy the next one, right? You got to keep it going, keep the strategy going. And then that's scaling, how you start yeah. scaling. Yep. So again, that one is very specific. A lot of rules and nuances to that. But oftentimes, I mean, we've had dozens of clients come in from other CPAs and say, they say you can't do that, understand that. But when you look at all of the regulations, all of the laws, it actually is the proper way to do it, right? If you follow mm. it properly, it's the proper way to do it. So that's a newer strategy, not, yeah. you know, in my, and John and I's world, we hear it, we hear this all the time because we're in all these chatters about it, but like in the general grand scheme of things, not many people know about that one. And it's probably the best way for a W-2 employee to offset their income right now that also is a pretty good uh, investment. So Investment strategy, right. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things I think we get in here, and I want to, I so I think you have a lot of strategies and I would encourage anybody to you know, book calls. I'll make sure there's contact information below if you want to get some calls with these guys and understand what they can do for you. But investments themselves, right? There's a new class of, of investment out there, you know, some eco-friendly, I know carbon cleansing, mm -hmm. a lot of these that the government is doing some very interesting incentives to actually then provide some write-offs against W-2 and active income. What what are you seeing and hearing about those? Yeah, let me just jump in here to start and then I'll pass it to John to go through them. As a general theme, we always tell people, you can't, when the tax code changes, right? Change in 2017, there's been some updates, uh, again, from the recent acts that were passed at the end of last year by the Biden administration. We always tell people, don't get so caught up in the headlines of like the polarization of the good and the bad, right? Right. Just take a step back and know that there's opportunity. The tax code is written as incentives, right? Think about like people will say, oh, why do insurance companies make so much money? Because they don't really pay taxes, right? There's all these incentives out there for certain industries, but they change over time. So generally speaking, the 90s and early 2000s, the incentive was in the, was in the old school energy, right? Oil and gas, great incentives for that. Right. But now they're changing. Now they're changing into green energy. So you need to follow government policy. They're trying mm. to incentivize us to behave in certain manners, whether you agree upon it or not. That is where they're steering the current tax benefits. And we've right. just seen it double in the last in the last year or so. But I'll let John kind of go into some of the, the specifics of the green energy policy. Yeah, like like Greg said, I mean, it's it's a the tax code is a book of incentives. So as long as you follow kind of the the government's lead on those things whether you agree agree with it or not you're gonna there's gonna be incentivizing items as it relates to investment so i mean thinking obviously like electric vehicles which is popular among people solar right solar on your home your personal residence and on investment properties and then in terms of like getting back into real estate right like whether you're you know renovating properties you're de you're you're developing you're going to do fix and flips high you know energy efficiency is rewarded on a significant basis right? Um, right so those are kind of all things that like if you're thinking that way and there's opportunities that way more often than not there's going to be a tax incentive as mm -hmm. it relates to you know green energy and, and and kind of the 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 prominence that it's becoming in a lot of these different industries yeah and like all those things john just mentioned right solar there's solar tax credits there's solar depreciation there are electric vehicle credits, both for personal use, right? They did actually just were in April. They just published the final list a few weeks ago of what qualifies up to 7,500 bucks. There's also business electric vehicle credits with mm. no income cap, meaning you can make $37 trillion and still get a nice $7,500 tax credit. Nice wow. for business owners. And then what John was alluding to there at the end with real estate, right? There's these two niche sections that have been around, but they just got boosted in uh, last winter, section 45L and 179D, they're both energy efficient upgrade sections, meaning new windows, new doors, new HVAC, new envelope renovations. If you meet Energy Star or, or greater for some of them, right, you're going to get either a large deduction or a large credit. Now, hmm. I would say that even though these are becoming a little bit more prominent, 90% of investors miss them because they're not educated about them. The thing with wow. the tax system is, the government's not going to say, oh, oh, Christopher, you, you know, you really should have, you really should have claimed that 45L on that project. You did. No, they're not going <laughs> to right. That's not how it works. They're like, that's great. Another, another guy that didn't know what he was doing. So they, they're not going to come and tell you this. You need to get around the right people are going to tell you about this. And then you can start looking at a project saying, hmm, okay, well, I'm going to put 
500,000 into this project. But based on this thing I learned, I'm actually going to get an immediate tax incentive refund of 25,000 because, because of this type of project, right? Wow. And that helps in your underwriting. So yes. uh, again, a lot of these things, it's our biggest struggle is making sure people get educated on it mm. so they can bring that idea to us. Hey, I'm going to do this project. Let's make sure we think about these kind of weird tax sections that are out there. Well, and, th- and this is all great. And I know we can continue to talk about these strategies for hours. And this is what I love geeking out on too. But I think what's really important and I really want to share with people is that, you know, both Greg and John, you and your company believe wholeheartedly in this advanced planning and a lot of education and also delivering automation in the way to serve people. And because of that, you have a big announcement to make about your company today. We do breaking news, breaking news. We so we kind of with that, like with our vision, we kind of understand that we're we're different uh, than kind of your normal professional services provider, and, and we always have kind of wanted the brand that that meets that. So we, we're officially changing our name to Anomaly, which the definition of that is a deviation from what's you know normal, standard, or expected. And I think it's for us. It definitely characterizes us, but we also want it to characterize our clients. Mm-hmm. We want them to be the anomaly in kind of an industry where, you know, it's reactive and you're in, you know, the, you know, focusing on taxes and focusing on the strategies is maybe a bit devalued. I think we want our clients to be empowered to be, to be that anomaly as well. So, and it also, like you said, Christopher lends itself to, we're trying to be on the cutting edge of tech technology too, and how That's we deliver right. our service. Right. So that goes in the tax strategy point, right? Like, like, Greg and I just did. And like you said, we could talk for hours about strategy and these things are all true and they apply to a lot of people, but you have to do them and you have to execute them, right? There needs to be that follow through. And that's a lot of what we're trying to do is be that execution partner with our clients, not just give them the strategy, but, but help them implement and actually do it. And a lot of our kind of technology, you know, uh, education guides and, and resources really we're really trying to be innovative in that respect to to be able to kind of walk lockstep with our clients and catch them where they're at so those are kind of all blend into the new brand which we're very excited about well and and i think it is it's very exciting and i think that it also is something to me as a technology employee really resonates because they talk about the fact that all companies are becoming technology companies right? You need right. technology now. And when I think about, you know, your firm being, you know, remote first, and you really are technology driven, and not just that, but you're really trying to make a name for yourself in and amongst the certified tax planners being somebody that's different. I think Anomaly fits. I like it. I'm excited about it. Love it. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're excited. And we have some, uh, some big things in the work in the next in the next year as well, and doubling down on technology and just trying to make people's lives more efficient and uh, and easier is part of our goal as well. Well, because I think when you get into the cadence, right? When you think about, I'm no longer working with a tax preparer, right? Which, and and I want to bring to life that experience. What that experience was like for me is. You know, you you do the best you can. You're right. And you said it earlier, Greg, like you read the thing. Oh, they're withholding taxes. You get to the end of the year and you're like, oh, crap. And there's this look, there's this feeling, there's, you know, writing that check or making that transfer that's brutal versus when you're working with a certified tax planner, right? You're getting text messages. You're getting like, hey, did you remember to do this? Okay, great. And you're doing these little micro movements, micro management throughout the year that leads to then, to your point, ROI. I mean, this to me is was fascinating is, you know, hey, here's going to be the certified tax planning fees, but we're going to deliver that back plus more. That to me is then a partner. You're dealing with a partner and not just a you know, somebody who's just a, a commodity or a service provider. Absolutely. And, and one of our, our core values is, is uh, being partners in success. And you, you mentioned, you know, the ROI. And we always tell people, look, it doesn't matter where you're at. There is probably something out there you can do. And if it saves you $500 next year, that's great because, or $1,000, right? Over 10 years, that's $10,000. Reinvest right. that at 7 to 10%. That's a nice ROI, right? So, We'd never say like, don't be lazy and don't leave things on the table just because it requires a little bit of effort. Get a system in place. Most people, like the government does publish these studies once in a while, like the amount of overpaid taxes, it's, it's incredible. So figure out what applies to you, 
and then just start chipping away, right? It, it, you might not overnight, you know, achieve tax-free wealth, but right. it, it, you got to start somewhere, right? So do, I think people can get overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, I'm, I have such high taxes. Well, if you if you paid 28%, maybe you can get down to 26% next year, right? Right. There a couple of different strategies. So start somewhere and then just know that those savings compound. It's not just one time. It could work for 10 straight years. So that's what we always try to teach people too there at the beginning of this journey. That's right. And then I can't remember what, it, what is that that you talk about? You say that you want to be, you know, working with the tax code because you can achieve all its benefits or you have a, a phrase or something like that you say? Yeah, we, we like to say that the tax codes are your roadmap to wealth, right? Because as I, as I kind of alluded to before, it, it really, although, you know, as we said, it's a book of laws, it's also a book of incentives. So if you follow it properly, it's going to say what you can do to not pay tax, right? Everything mm. is taxable. Everything is taxable unless the tax code says it's not. So finding those different areas and opportunities is awesome. And, you know, I, I think that people will say like, well, why doesn't the uber, uber wealthy, why are their tax rates so low? Well, ultimately, Christopher, it's because they have invested in the right type of activities. They have structured things the right way. They have found the, honestly, they just live off the leverage that they've created in these massive brands and companies. So, right. It doesn't mean that someone at one tenth of their net, net worth can't kind of do the same thing, right? There's no, there's no nothing in the tax code that says you have to make a billion dollars to do this. It's right. all there, and it's just a matter of can you apply it to your specific situation in life, and if not, can you follow that roadmap to get there over time? Oh, that's great. All right, we have definitely gone long, but I have had a blast. This is awesome. We're going to go into the fire round where we ask five key questions. I don't even know who's going to answer them but we're just going to dig into it. So what soft skill has helped your career the most so far? I'll go first. I think, well, I don't know that I'm good at this though. I mean, can I say what I want, what I want it to be? Or there you that, go. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That, we're, what you're focused on. Uh, we're all learning. I, right? think, I think being like listening and, and mm. being patient, right. I think, I think my wife has beat me over the head with that. So I, I think, <laughs> I think those are things that maybe are more, I what I strive to be like, but there you go. I think those are those are those are those are big big soft skills that are, that are needed, right? To be able to listen and evolve with the feedback that you get. For me, I'd say it's asking questions, right? So always always asking why mm. of clients of other tax professionals, just asking a lot of questions, not having all the answers, just asking questions to try to keep learning and picking up little tidbits here and there. That's great. What is the worst money advice you've ever received? I mean, I think what's common among the industry, and Greg will agree with me, is that like maybe this this is more of a tax tax preparer yeah. advice. Is you know, hey, why don't you go buy this car on December thirty first or something like that? You know, or you made too much money, that's why you're paying so much taxes. I think we hear that as a revolving door, and it just makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll double double down on that. Like, there's, the, I mean, it's kind of a running joke in our in our communities of yeah. You know, just hey, go go spend a hundred thousand dollars on a terrible asset just to save thirty thousand in taxes, right? Like, well, is that a really good investment? Probably not. Uh, and, the, and the second one, as John mentioned, is like that's a very old school saying. Is you know, the multimillionaire complains to CPA and they say, "Oh, sorry, you just make too much money," right? It's like, no, that's not that's not good advice. So that's just two things we commonly hear in our industry. Wow, no, that's great. That's actually great. How do you both keep learning? Great, you can start. So I don't I don't steal your answer this time. Sure. So. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm I'm particularly keen on podcasts. So I'm a podcast junkie, and I listen to like literally dozens per week, probably every time I'm outside walking, commuting, what I'm doing. I'm I'm always listening to podcasts. I I do focus on obviously niche specific industry stuff, but I also listen to a lot of entrepreneurial ones as well, mm. and just learn try to learn from people that have been there, right? And I probably right. you know I pester John all the time with these things I'm hearing. It's like a new idea <laughs> every every five minutes, but. There's just so much education out there through the podcast these days. Like, so, and what and what generation did you have access to have these one hour listening right. sessions with billionaires? Right, that mm -hmm. exists now and exists every week. So, podcast to me has been spent, you know, uh, life changing on an education standpoint. Yeah, I mean, it's along the same lines, but I just think like you know, there's that like concept of like being the listen and be like the dumbest person in the room or you want to be the dumbest person in the room. And, right. and we, we just we speak with so many different people, even like you, Christopher, and it's just, you can learn something from everybody. Everybody's mm -hmm. doing something a different way and just taking the time. I've learned so much from our clients, from mentors, from people, from people on our team. Right. And just being, just kind of going in with that mindset has been huge for me. That's great. What do you, what do you both do to recharge? I would say, you know, my, 
that's kind of recharging is actually exercise, right? So, so trying to work out, be active, be outdoors, mm. gym. I love to, I love to be active. That helps me kind of stay mentally clear and sharp. So that's, that's the big one for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think family time too, for me, right? Just spending time with my family. I have two young kids, which, you know, actually it's probably not a recharge, but it's, it's uh, <laughs> it, it recharges <laughs> my soul. So that's I, right. I guess that's yeah, good. Yeah. Not my body, but my soul. I'm no, sure. Exactly. Which is, which is more important. That's right. And then what, what's the advice that you give to your younger self in your career? I would say it's taking risks, right? So take a risk and be open to change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I made the kind of the jump to change the entrepreneurial jump in my career at, at around 28 years old. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, why? Well, I wish I was taking more risks earlier, but take risks when you're, when you're younger in your career, because there's always a fallback plan, right? There's, yeah. I always had the fallback plan that if this doesn't work, I was doing pretty well as I was. So just be open to risk, open to change. That's yeah, I would say, uh, you know, be ready to figure it out is kind of like a saying that I would say, you know, that you're not, I think if, I think to like, if you're going to go out on your own or kind of like take an entrepreneurial journey, there's, there's like so much stuff that you're just not going to be taught how to do, mm-hmm. right? Even if you go to the best institutions in the world, they're not going to teach you. I mean, a lot of, a lot of colleges teach you how to be an employee. So, which is good, which is really, really good. And uh, I think it's great, but I think that is something for me is like, there's a lot of stuff you just got to figure on your own and you got to be okay making mistakes and learning from them. Those are some big things that I I would say to my younger self. Excellent. Well, I can't tell you guys, this was phenomenal. Had a blast. I could definitely keep going for another hour or two, having having so much fun. But where do we get in touch with you? What is the new, uh, and I'll put all this on the episode page so that people know, but how do they get in touch with Anomaly? <laughs> I love that. Well, the new website is anomalycpa.com. Uh, so okay. that, that's easy enough. You can find Greg and myself on LinkedIn. And then Greg, in terms of the, the social handles, we're on all social media platforms at anomaly underscore CPA. Oh, great. So that's kind of where you can see us. Okay, great. I'll get all that stuff loaded. Well, hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, fellas. And I think you added a ton of value today. So thanks so much. Thanks for having us, Chris. Great times.